0: Reading from the book, my mother's favorite song, page 103, this chapter is on loneliness. We all experience a lot of loneliness in our lives, I know I did, and so I just want to reach out to all you guys out there that are lonely, could be lonely, I just want to say I love you, I'll give you an electronic hug and uh let's let's ask god to be our friend right now in this time of loneliness heavenly father lord we're lonely we ask you to touch our hearts and our minds lord god we just want to be honest with you the reeling of the mind and the emotions and all these thoughts lord god thank you that we can go to you lord god and ask you and be honest with you we are lonely Lord, you said you will never leave us nor forsake us, so come into our hearts and our minds, we ask in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this time we have together. Amen. Starting from page 103, the author, which is John Williams Smith, a teacher, Really interesting. This guy devoted his life to teaching high school, and and now he, an incredible work of art is his book. It covers all these topics that um, pertain to a healthy lifestyle. So, I just have a high respect for this guy. You know how hard is it to to write, and to take time to write in in a person's life. It's just amazing, and then put such a beautiful spin and humor and laughter and heart and death and life all these topics so it gives me great pleasure and an honor to introduce his his various letters chapter on loneliness and this is his introduction i used to dread loneliness almost more than anything i had no idea why it came or why it left for that matter It's just sort of a slip up on me, stealthily, gently, and slowly. I have noticed that it comes more frequently with age, and it is of different quality. I also have discovered why it comes. I used to think that it was the same thing as depression, but it isn't. At least it isn't for any more. I can be lonely without being depressed, although I don't believe I am ever depressed without being lonely. (laughs) When my wife says, what's the matter? Are you depressed? I can immediately say, no, it's not that. I think I'm just lonely. And when she says, why? Or lonely for what? Or I say, I'm not exactly sure, but it has something to do with home. My sense of loneliness will only grow from this point on, but I don't dread it anymore. As my love for life and for this earth grows less and less as I learn that there is no lasting satisfaction, appeal, or joy in the things of this earth, as eternity gets closer and more real, as more and more of my loved ones stelt silently away, I know that nothing here is ever going to fill that undefined vacuum in my life that I call loneliness. It isn't morbid, it doesn't rob me of either my joy or my determination to live every day to its fullest. It's a sign of maturity, of growth in God. There are many things that lessen the emptiness that goes with loneliness, and this chapter is designed to bring a positive and spiritual outlook to your life. Sharing these good years With my wife, watching my children grow and being their families, began their families, meditating on God's word, praying, communion with God, and singing songs of praise, visiting old scenes and anticipating new ones, accepting the challenge every day to make a difference in someone's life, utilizing every experience and lesson God has taught me to help some struggling program on his way. All of these give me strength to live with my loneliness without wallowing in despair. Loneliness helps me understand that the Apostle Paul statements about his desire to depart and be with Jesus. I also understand that he is right after that too. The part about God not being finished with him here and as long as He was here, he was going to live usefully and productively. May God help us all to be so determined. And now, a chapter on the birds. Look at the birds. When I lived in San Antonio, Texas, I could not find a job. I was humiliated, time for, for me. It was a humiliating time for me because I had never been in that position before. My wife has a secure a teaching position, which was very helpful financially, but increased my sense of failure immeasurably. It was a time of much intros- introspection, soul-searching, and personal loneliness for me. It was also a time when I discovered that I had not made as much progress in my quest to know God as I thought I had. In fact, I had taken a few steps backwards. By the way, I'm reading outside on my porch. And um, there seems to be some people living life dramatically. Actually enjoying themselves. They must be watching the basketball game. My wife is in there watching the basketball game, and I just can't simply see uh, spending a Saturday on the couch watching basketball when it's so beautiful out here outside in god's world so I'm glad i I was able to break away. i'm on the porch in front of my house, and there's traffic, so I wave at strangers. <laughs> Okay, back to the story. The author says, I had taken a few steps backwards. Through the kindness and generosity of many dear people who love me practically and with good hearts, I was helped to start a firewood business. I bought chainsaws, a truck, and the necessary tools, was given a place to cut wood near Seguin, and I began up in the bushes. I had never operated a chainsaw before in my life. It's amazing how quickly you can learn something when the need is upon you. I left the house at 3.30 a.m. and often did not return until long after dark because my need was great. I priced my wood modestly and I sold all I could cut. I was totally alone all day. The sheer unrelenting brutal labor was good for me. I did not mean that I thought it was good for me at that time. I mean, looking back, it was good for me at that time. I felt sorry for myself. I thought I was the only person in the world who had to work for a living because I worked alone. My, I hi. My bitterness and resentment were increased in my isolation. By my isolation. One very cold and overcast day, I was practicing particularly depressed, I was tired, broke far behind in feeling my orders and frustrated with the cruel misfortune of life which seemed to mock me. Here (laughs) I was a college education cutting firewood, at one point my chain was dull when it struck a small rock that had lodged (laughs) at the joint of a limb on the hickory tree. I was cutting. I had just sharpened it, a very arduous and time-consuming task, and in my already depressed and harried condition, it was the last straw. I sat down on the stump of the tree I had just cut, and my eyes began to fill with tears. Miles from any person totally alone, I sat and cried. Eventually I cried, uh, and when I began to be restored, I noticed a very small bird, a wren, I think. It perched on a limb, almost within touching distance. It seemed totally unafraid and watched me with with what I judged to be friendly curiosity. I spoke to it. I know that sounds dumb, totally irrational, but I did. I was so alone that I needed to speak to something, and the bird was the only thing around. Hi, I said. It jumped quickly to a higher limb, but no farther away. It bounced and jerked so cheerfully and lightly that it made me laugh. A soft, gentle, inside kind of a laugh. What are you so happy about? Do you ever get lonely or depressed? I didn't expect an answer, but when it cocked his head to one side and looked at me with such an intelligent curiosity, I listened intently, just for a moment, in spite of myself. When I was a child, I might have expected an answer and got it too, but not now. I am far too old and wise for that. The little bird was company, and he lifted my spirits. As I watched him, I remember Jesus saying, Look at the birds, are you not worth more than they? Look, that passage kept running through my mind like I was supposed to learn something from it. It was like I was hearing it for the first time. Look at the birds, Jesus said. Look, look, look at the birds. I began began to realize that I never had, you know, I had seen birds, yeah, I, I had hunted birds, I had shot birds, I had cleaned birds, cut up birds, cooked birds, eaten birds, I had even fed birds, but I never looked at them. God help me, I thought, and God forgive me for not looking at the birds. I have argued <clears throat> argued doctrine <clears throat> until the smallest gnat <clears throat> was not only strained out of my dissecting. But dissected, I have pondered the grace works tension until I nearly snap. I have worried and worried myself over a woman's role in the church and questions about authority until I was (laughs) wretched. Because I thought God wanted me to, and he does. But I had never looked at the birds because I thought the passage was symbolic or figurative or maybe unimportant. I had not learned the weightier matters of the law that bring balance, restore harmony, and cure loneliness. If I had spent more time looking at birds, I would have been a better person. I would have known far more about loving God, my brethren, my enemies, my family, even myself, and I would have been less lonely. Wrestling with millennialism, and questionings about the Holy Spirit is all right, I suppose, but it does not speak to the real issues of life. I do not at all mean that I should not wrestle with those things. I do mean that a person can cure his loneliness and learn more about his relationship to God by looking at the birds than he will be by arguing doctrine. <laughs> Now I'm outside and I too eaten birds, fed birds, killed birds, uh, stalked birds, but I have looked at birds. I have spent countless hours observing birds. When I was a little boy, and uh, there was no fences. I guess it was the country. And I'd take off and wander in, in the countryside by myself. And I see this beautiful uh, waist high, which actually was head high to me. I was five years old. Uh, it would look like wheat, but it was just wild grass. And it was just swayed. I mean, it was maybe a couple of acres. It was beautiful. The grass would sway back and forth. And I would run and do a flip and land on my back like a somersault. And just hoping I would not hit a rock or something like that. But the grass, it just looks, it looks too spongy not to do that and to just uh, enjoy it. <clears throat> one time I was just laying down in the grass and all of a sudden a uh, little parakeet showed up. And I guess the parakeet had gotten loose because it was just right next to me. And then the parakeet had a following of other birds, a lot of little uh the smaller birds were following of a different kind, about maybe 12 of them. And they all got on my left side. The parakeet was at my right and the, the sparrows were at my left. And I was in the middle and we were all little children of God in nature, loving. I could just almost reach over and touch the parakeet see if he wanted to get on my arm, get in my hand. And he jumped and flew away, and all these other little birds followed the leader. They took off. One time, I was just meditating in the park as an adult, and it was raining, and it was meditation time. And I saw a big—and the wind and the rain was coming down, and it was a little strong— And I saw a big bird, not a really big bird, about the size of a pigeon. I couldn't tell what kind of bird it was. But he was flying against the wind, and he was going, dashing through the park, going north against the wind in the rain. And there was a little bird right in back of it. They were not of the same species, but he was following the big bird because the big bird was breaking the wind for him. And they both just trucked through the air like... A very beautiful sight to see. Amen. And the other the other point, when he said the bird looked at him intelligently, a lot of us have had that. We have seen squirrels look at us intelligent. I have seen deers in a headlight look at me intelligent. Uh, and you know what they're thinking. They're intelligent. They're saying, you don't know you were created and that there's a God that loves you? Kind of a look. I have had that many times. <clears throat> One time I was I was fretting about how God was gonna take care of me. You know, my I didn't have a job, I had a car payment, a house payment, and every kind of payment. And I looked outside and there was a squirrel, and there was no squirrels in that area. And there was a squirrel eating a nut, and he was just looking at me. And I'm thinking, and he's eating a, a nut, came out of nowhere. Never seen any squirrels in my backyard. Haven't seen any since in that area. I don't know where the squirrel came from. There was no trees around, only railroad. And yet the squirrel was just looking at me through the, sitting on the on the fence, eating a colonel and thinking you know he, he's going to feed you it's going to be all right man god's got it did god didn't say i'm always with you i'll never leave you nor forsake you god t- told me to tell you The scroll says that it's going to be all right yep you don't have a job but it's going to be all right yep you don't know where you're going to get your next paycheck but it's going to be all right yep It's all about clapping. Well, I just started praising God, thanking Him, and here I am. It was all right, and it's been all right hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. It's been all right. And to this day, it's all right. Thank you for coming on today for another heaping spoonful of James Harriet's dog stories. <clears throat> today, I believe we left off, one of the stories we haven't read is uh, page 21, excuse me, chapter 21, Magnus and Company, Magnus, Magnus. <clears throat> There was one marvelous thing about the setup in Derby. I had the inestimable advantage of being a large animal practitioner with a passion for dogs and cats. So that although I spent most of my time in the wide outdoors of Yorkshire, there was always the captivating background of the household pits to make a contrast. I treated some of them every day and it made it an extra interest in my life. interest of a different kind based on sentiment instead of commerce and because of the way things were, it was something I could linger over and enjoy. I suppose with a very intensive small animal practice, it would be easy to regard the thing as a huge sausage machine, an endless procession of hairy forms to prod with. Hypodermic needles. But in Darwin, we got to know them all as individual entities. Driving through the town, I was able to identify my ex patients without difficulty. Rover Johnson, recovered from his ear canker, coming out of the ironmonger's with her mistress, Patch Walker, whose broken leg had healed beautifully. Balanced happily on the back of his owner's coal wagon or spot brakes, who was a bit of a rake anyway, and would soon be tearing himself again on barbed wire, ambling all alone across the marketplace cobbles in search of adventure. I got quite a kick out of recalling their ailments and mulling over their characteristics, because they all had their own personalities. And they were manifested in different ways. One of these was his personal reaction to me and my treatment. Most dogs and cats appear to bear me not the slightest ill will, despite the fact that I usually had to do something disagreeable to them. But there was an exception of all these with Magnus, the miniature dashbound from the drove's arms. You know, I read that story already. It's in here, Magnus. I don't remember. Let me go ahead and read. Wow, that's a long story. And then I read The Last Visit. I remember that one, Benjamin. Moving right along here. Cedric, I remember reading that one, number 20 degree with the farting uh, boxer, (laughs) the boxer dog. It's amazing how people love their dogs in this A high society, very well polite lady, just fell in love with this dog and she just cared for him like it was a child. But he had a problem. Farted all the time. So they gave him to the gardener and the gardener couldn't smell and they both made a a great combination. Okay, our next story is number 25 called A Bandaged Finger. Stories of James Harriet. Animal, small animal and large animal practitioner. Practitioner. Here we go. I was castrating pigs and Rory was holding them. There were several litters to do, and I was in a hurry and failed to notice the Irish farm worker's mounting apprehension. His young boss was catching the little animals and handing them to Rory, where he, who held them upside down, gripped between his thighs and their legs apart. I read this one already. The scalpel came really close to uh, castrating the guy who was holding the piggies. <laughs> Okay, story number 26, Cheps Hobby, C-H-E-P-S, Hobby. Mr. Bale's little place was situated about halfway along Highburn Village, and to get into the farmyard, you had to walk 20 yards or so between five-foot walls. On the left was the neighboring house, On the right, the front garden of the farm. In this garden, sheep lurked for most of the day. He was a huge dog, much larger than the average collie. In fact, I am convinced he was part Elsadian, because though he had a luxuriant black and white coat, there was something significant in the massive limbs and in the noble brown-shaded head with its upstanding ears. He was quite different from the stringy, little animals I saw on my daily round. <clears throat> as I walked between the walls, my mind was already in the byre, just visible as the far end of the yard, because one of the Bailey's cows, Rose by name, had the kind of obscure digestive ailment which <clears throat> interferes with veteran the sleep. They are so difficult to diagnose. This animal had begun to grunt and go off her, her milk two days ago, and when I had seen her yesterday, I had flitted from one possibility to the other. Could be a wire, but the forked stomach was contracting well, and there was plenty of ruminal sounds. Also, she was eating a little hay in a half-hearted way. Could it be impactation or a partial torsion of the gut? There was abdominal pain, without a doubt, and that nagging temperature of 102.5. That was damn like a wire. Of course, I could settle the whole thing by opening the cow up, but Mister Bales was an old-fashioned type and didn't like the idea of my diving into his animals unless I was certain of my diagnosis. And I wasn't there. Was no getting away from that. I wasn't there. I was halfway down the alley between the walls with the hope right before me that my patient would improve and went from nowhere an appalling explosion of sound blasted into my ear. It was Chep again. The wall was just the right height for the dog to make a leap and bark into the ear of the passerby. It was a favorite gambit of his and I had been caught before but never so successfully as now. My attention had been so far away, and the dog had timed his jump to a split second so that his bark came at the highest point, his teeth only inches from my face, and his voice befitted his size, a great bull bellow surging from the depths of his powerful chest and booming from his gasping jaws. I rose several inches into the air, and when I descended, heart-thumping, head-singing, a glare over the wall, but as usual I saw what the hairy form bounding away out of sight around the corner of the house. That was what puzzled me. Why did he do it? Was he a savage creature with evil design on me? Or was his idea of a joke? I never got near enough to him to find out. I wasn't in the best shape to receive bad news, and that was what awaited me in the byre. I had only looked at the farmer's face to know the cow was worse. <clears throat> I reckon she got a stoppage, Mr. Bales muttered gloomily. I gritted my teeth. The entire spectrum of abdominal disorders were lumped as stoppages by the older race of farmers, and the oil hadn't worked then nay she's not about passing little hard bits it's a proper stoppage i tell you right mr bales i said with a twisted smile we'll have to try something stronger i brought in from my car the gastric lavage outfit i loved so well and which has so sadly disappeared from my life the long rubber stomach tube the wooden gag with its leather strap to buckle behind the horns as I pumped in the two gallons of warm water rich and formalane and sodium chloride, I felt like Napoleon sending in the old guard at Waterloo. If this didn't work, nothing would. Next morning I was driving down the single village street when I saw mister Bales coming out of the shop. I drew up and pushed my head out the window. How's Rose this morning, mister Bales? She rested her basket on the ground and looked down on me gravely. Oh, she's bad, Mr. Harriet, she's bad. My husband thinks she's going down fast. If you want to find him, you'll have to go across the field. There, he's minding the door in the little barn. A sudden misery enveloped me as I drove over to the gate leading into the field. I left the car in the road and lifted the latch. Damn, 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 I muttered as I trailed across the green. I had a nasty feeling that a little strategy was building up here. If this animal died, it would be a sickening blow to a small farmer with ten cows and a few pigs. I should be able to do something about it, and it was a depressing thought that I, that I was getting nowhere. And yet, despite it all, I felt peace stealing into my soul. It was as a large field, and I could see the barn at the far end as I walked with the tall grass, brushing my knees. It was a meadow ready for cutting, and suddenly I realized that it was high summer, the sun was hot, and that every step brought the fragrance of clover and warm grass rising about me in the crystal freshness of the air. Somewhere nearby a field of broad beans was in full flower, and as the exotic scent drifted across, I found myself inhaling with half-closed eyes as I thought, straining to discern the ingredients of the glorious melange. And then there was a the silence. It was the most soothing thing of all, that and the feeling of being alone. I looked drowsily around at the empty green miles of sleeping under the sunshine. Nothing stirred. There was no sound. Then without a warning the ground at me feet erupted in an incredible blast of noise. For a dreadful moment the blue sky was obscured by an enormous hairy form and a red mouth went wh in my face almost screaming. I staggered back, and as I glared widely, I saw sheep disappearing at top speeds towards the gate. Concealed in the deep herbage right in the middle of the field, he had waited till he saw the whites of my eyes before making his assault. Chep disappearing at the top speed towards the gate. Whether he had been there by action or whether he had spotted me arriving and slunk into position, I shall never know. But from his point of view, the result must have been immensely satisfactory because it was certainly the worst fright I have ever had. I live a life which is well larded with scars and alarms, but this great dog rising, bellowing from the empty landscape was something on his own. I have heard of cases where sudden terror and stress had caused involuntary evacuation of the bowels. And I know without question that this was the occasion when I came nearest to suffering that unhappy faith. I was still trembling when I reached the barn and hardly said a word as Mr. Bale led me back across the road to the farm. And it was like rubbing it in when I saw my patient. The flesh had melted from her, and she stared at the wall apathetically from sunken eyes. The doom-laden grunt was louder. I decided to have one last go with the lavage. It was still the strongest weapon in my armory, but this time I added two pounds of black treacle to the mixture. Nearly every farmer had a barrel of this stuff in his cowhouse in those days. I had only to go into the corner and turn the tap. It was not till the following afternoon that I drove into Hyperm. I left the car outside the farm and was about to walk between the walls when I paused and stared at a cow in the field on the other side of the road. It was a pasture next to the hayfield of yesterday and that cow was rose. There could be no mistake, she was a fine deep red with a distinctive white mark like a football on her left flank. I opened the gate, and within seconds my cares dropped from me. She was wonderfully, miraculously improved—in fact, she looked like a normal animal. I walked up to her and scratched the root of her tail. She was a docile creature and merely looked around at me as she cropped the grass, and her eyes were no longer sunken but bright and full. As the wave of relief flooded through through me, I saw Mr. Bales climbing over the wall from the next field. He would still be mending that barn door. As he approached, I felt a pang of commiseration. I had to guard against any display of triumph. After all, the poor chap had been worried. No, it wouldn't do to preen myself unduly. "'Ah, good morning to you, Mr. Bales,' I said expansively. Rose looks fine today, doesn't she? The farmer took up his cap and wiped his brow. Hey, she's a different cow now. All right. I don't think she needs any more treatment, I said. I hesitated. Perhaps one little dig would do no harm. But it is a good thing I gave her that extra lavage yesterday. Yawn, pumping job, Mr. Bales raised his eyebrows. Oh, that I had not to do with it. What? What do you mean? I cure her, surely? Nay, lad, Jim Oakley cured her. Jim? What on earth? Hey, Jim was around here last night. He often comes in in the evening and he looked, he took one look at the cow and told me what to do. I tell you, she was like dying. That pumping job hadn't done no good at all. He told me to give her a bloody good gallop around the field. What? Hey? That's what he said. He seen him like that before, and a good gal would put him right, so we got Rose out here and did as he said, and by God, it did the trick. She looked better right away. I drew myself up. And who, I asked frigidly, is Jim Oakley. He's the postman, of course. The postman, eh? But he used to keep a few beasts years ago. He's a very clever man, Wickstock is Jim. No doubt, but I assure you, Mr. Bales, the farmer said, raised a hand. Say no more, lad. Jim put her right, and there's no denying it. I wish you seen him chasing her around. He's as all as me, but by God it did go. He can run like hell, can Jim? He chuckled reminiscently. I had had about enough during the farmer's eulogy. I had been distractedly scratching the cow's tail and had soiled my hand in the process. Mustering the remains of my dignity, I nodded. I nodded to Mr. Bales. Well, I must be on my way. Do you mind if I go in the house to wash my hands? You go right in, he replied. "Tis missus will get you some hot water. It seems to take a long time to reach the end of the wall. And I was about to turn right towards the door of the farmer's kitchen when from my left I heard the sudden rattle of a chain. Then a roaring creature launched itself at me, bayed once mightily into my face and was gone. This time I thought my heart would stop. With my defenses at their lowest, I was in no state to withstand Chip. I had quite forgotten that Miss, Mrs. Bales occasionally tethered him in the current kennel at the entrance of discouraged, unwelcome visitors. And as I have, have laid against the wall, the blood thundering in my ears, I looked dully at the long coil of chain on the cobbles. I had no time for people who lose their tempers with animals, but something something snapped in my mind then. All my frustrations burst from me in torn and incoherent shouts as I grabbed the chain and began to pull on it frenziedly. That dog which had tortured me was there in that kennel. For, For once I knew where to get at him, and this time I was going to have the matter out with him. The candle would be about ten feet away, and at first I saw nothing. There was only the dead weight at the end of the chain. <laughs> then, as I hauled inexor- inexorably, a nose appeared, then a head, then all—all of the big animal, hanging by his collar. I thought <laughs> you were out here with somebody. Sorry, stood right <laughs> there by the wall. He showed no desire to get up and greeted me, but I was mercilessly and dragged him inch by inch over the cobbles till he was lying at my feet. Besides myself with rage, I crouched, shook my fist under his nose and yelled at him from a few inches range, you big bugger, if you do that again to me, I'll knock your bloody head off, do you hear me, I'll knock your bloody head off, clean off. Chep rolled frightened eyes at me, and his tail flickered apologetically between his legs. When I continued to scream at him, he bared his upper teeth in an ingrating grin and finally rolled on his back where he lay inert with half-closed eyes. So now I knew, he was a softie, all his ferocious attack was just a game. I began to calm down, but for all that I wanted him to get the message. "'Right, mate,' I said in a men- menacing whisper. "'I remember what I said. "'I will let go the chain and gave a final shout. "'Now get back in there.' "'Chip almost on his knees, tail tucked well in, "'shot back into his kennel, "'and I turned to the farmhouse to wash my hands. "'I was surprised when, about a month later, "'I received another call to one of Mr. Bale's cows.' I felt that after my performance with Rose, he would have called on the services of Jim Oakley for any further trouble. But no, his voice on the phone was a- as polite and friendly as ever, with not a hint that he had lost faith. It was strange. Leaving my car outside the farm, I looked wearily into the front garden before venturing between the walls. A faint twinkle of, of metal told me that Shep was lurking there in his kennel, and I slowed my steps. I wasn't to be caught again. At the end of the alley, I paused, waiting, but as all I saw was the end of a nose, which quietly withdrew as I stood there. So my outburst had gotten through to the big dog. He knew I wasn't going to stand any more nonsense from him. And yet, as I drove away after the visit, I didn't feel good about it. A victory over an animal is a hollow one, and I had the uncomfortable feeling that I had deprived him of his chief pleasure. After all, every creature is entitled to some form of recreation, and though Chef's hobby could result in the occasional heartfelt failure it was, after all, his thing and part of him The thought that I had crushed something out of his life was disquieting one. I wasn't proud. Disquieting one. So that when later that summer I was driving through Highburn, I paused in anticipation outside the Bailey's farm. The village street, white and dusty, slumbered under the afternoon sun In the blanketing silence, nothing moved except for one small man strolling towards the opening between the walls. He was fat and very dark, one of the tinkers from a camp outside the village, and he carried an armful of pots and pans. From my vantage point, I could see through the railings into the front garden where Chep was slinking noisily into a position beneath the stones. Fascinated, I watched as the man turned unhurriedly into the opening and the dog followed the course of the disembodied head along the top of the wall. As I expected, it all happened halfway along. The perfect time leap and the momentary pause of the summit, then the tremendous woof and the unsuspecting ear. It had its usual effect. I had a brief view of flaying arms and flying pots and pans followed by a prolonged metallic clatter. Then the little man reappeared with like a projectile, turned right and sped away from me up the street. Considering his almost wrong physique, he showed astonishing turn of speed, his little legs pistoning, and he did not pause till he disappeared into the shop at the far end of the village. I don't know why he went in there because he wouldn't find any stronger restorative than... Ginger pop. Chep, the dog, apparently well satisfied, wandered back over the grass and collapsed in a cool patch where an apple tree grew its shade over the grass. Head on paws, he waited in comfort for his next victim. I smiled to myself as I lit in the clutch and moved off. I would stop at the shop and tell the little man that he could collect his paws and without the slightest fear of being torn limb from limb but my overriding emotion was one of relief that I had not cut the sparkle out of the big dog's life. Shep was still having fun. The fact that dogs clearly love to play or have some source of amusement makes me feel that people should really keep two dogs so that they would never be lonely. However, this is often inconvenient or impossible, so the more often an owner can play with his pet, the better. It is surprising that what can be done in this way. Tug of war, retrieving, even hide and seek. Sometimes, of course, a dog will find his own entertainment as Chep did. Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful story. Do you have a story? I like to hear it. Huh. Have a good day. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming on today's series of NED experiences. We have near-death experiences of people who have gone to heaven and come back, as you know. Very interesting. So our first one is from a man when he was a little boy. He uh, per- he died and was shown the future of USA democracy, Ken Leitz. And he, N-D-D, NDE. N-D-E, Sherman Oaks. N- near Death Experience. Or
1: Shaman Oaks.
0: The guy's name is- In today's video, I want to
2: explore Ken us near death experience that he had when he was eight years old. During his NDE, he said he was shown the future that included everything from JFK's assassination, Trump being elected, devastating natural disasters, and even an upcoming civil war. Remember as you're watching this that this was originally uploaded October 18th, 2020
3: almost three months before the January 6th attack at the Capitol. Let's get started. After I went through my um, life review, an entity that I called Mother took me to other places when I was up in heaven. It looked like a huge room, but there was like a, a large globe of the earth. It was like a model sitting up on a pedestal. It was like a machine, and it was very intricate. And there were a couple smaller entities standing around it like they maintained it and I was introduced to one of them. She was like a teacher. So I call her the teacher entity and then I was brought there by another entity that I call Mother. So Mother pretty much handed me off to the teacher entity and she was explaining this globe. And that's when they told me that the globe pretty much acts like a time capsule where every event on earth is recorded and kept. So I was shown a little bit of the past because I was curious about it. It's not hard to explain. I felt like I was a bird flying through the air, hovering over an ancient city and I saw a city that looks like someplace like Rome. So I told the teacher entity I can't really relate to this. I'm sorry. i read about this in the history books, but this doesn't interest me. What else can you show me in this globe? Then I got to thinking, well, I'd like to see where I fit in. Where do I fit into the big picture? So the um, teacher entity said, well, here's here's where you were born. And she just pointed down onto the earth and it looked like the geographical area where I was born. And um, all of a sudden, a vision opened up and again, it was like I was flying around like a bird viewing stuff going on down on the planet. And then all of a sudden, I was down on the ground and I saw a line of cars driving very fast through a city. People were cheering and waving and happy. And then suddenly something happened and it was bad and I knew it. I didn't see the specific gunshots. I I didn't see President Kennedy getting shot actually, but I knew he was hurt. And I saw the cars suddenly zoom off very fast. And there was a lot of turmoil. And then people were crying and I knew that he was hurt. That's when they explained to me that JFK died I asked why would God let this happen if he knows it's going to happen in advance, why doesn't he stop it? And I was pretty much told that it was going to happen because humanity makes choices sometimes that are wrong and they can't interfere. I guess that's a confirmation of um, we have free will. I was told that the next visions after that would happen later in my life and it started with a picture of a government building and it looks like the Supreme Court. The ruling they passed, uh, making it okay for same-sex marriage, I believe, and that would have happened around 2015, I believe that's what they were talking about. I wasn't told that specifically. I was told, toward the end of your life, there will be a ruling here, and they showed me the building, that is significant, and it will be the beginning of great turmoil in your country. Maybe. And um, I believe it was the same-sex marriage thing.
1: Could be versus Who was overturned.
3: the most angry about it? evangelicals, and I saw Hillary, I'm positive it was Hillary, because I heard her voice speaking to people, and she was campaigning for president. I was also told that she would be there with another person that was like a president, so I'm pretty sure that was Bill. So I turned to the teacher, entity and I said something like, well, she seems all right, I'm surprised a woman is running for president, but she seems all right, and I was told, yes, but." she may not be allowed to be the president. And I was surprised and I asked why. I was told because there's laws that are probably going to interfere. And that was it with Hillary. So I saw a brief vision that looked like, it looked like the Senate, but I'm not positive. It looked like Congress anyway. There was some hearings going on there and it was very intense. Next, I was shown a very angry, mean-spirited president And I saw that he had blonde hair. (laughs) I can't tell you that I saw his face or that I remember it. I do remember the blonde hair. And I remember the man being very angry and shouting at people. And then I saw demonstrations in the street. Then I saw Trump or this angry president in the Oval Office, nervous, walking around his desk, walking out into the hall, expecting a visitor, walking back, standing behind his desk, very nervous. Then the next vision, there was a skip. And then the next vision I saw was Trump on the front steps of a building in Washington DC. And he was very angry and he was uh, shaking his fist and he was getting a crowd excited and he was asking them to fight. So I asked the teacher entity, how did this man become our president? And why is he so angry? Then they showed me a vision of the Bible It's like the pages were flipping, and then I saw like a line, like a flow chart, going down through the pages. And then sometimes it would stop and divide, and then more lines would be created. And I understood this to be the path that humanity would take. I saw the line jump out of the Bible and highlight churches developing in old Europe. And then once those churches were developed, I saw them, uh, their morals Their uh, protocols, the things they established, their beliefs, came over to America with the migration of people. Then I saw the line of progression come out of the Bible again, and it shot out of the Bible, and it landed in the American southeast, the deep south of America. Then I saw churches growing and developing there, big churches, fabulous churches, complexes. I guess you could say schools, too, because there was teaching going on, large buildings, lots of people participating, and I was told that these new churches would be very evil and that they would have a lot to do with the election of this angry president. To be more specific, they were telling people who to vote for in the name of God. And I knew that to be a horrible sin. So I was warned to stay away from those churches, to not to not pay any attention to them and stay away. Mm-hmm. So I have. And, and intermingled with all these visions, I saw people demonstrating and marching and, and doing things in the streets. I did see African-Americans demonstrating in the streets and I didn't understand why they were so upset. That's when the Civil War was mentioned. and. I said something about, well, they were supposed to be free. The civil, the civil War I learned about in school, they were supposed to be free. And I was told but they're not, and that's why they're demonstrating. Mm-hmm. At the time that I brought up that I knew about the first Civil War, they told me another Civil War is coming and it's gonna be much worse than the first. Mm-hmm. So let's put it this way to the African-American, the black people that are watching this, God knows what you're going through, Yes. okay? You're not alone. Next, I saw intermingled with demonstrations in the street. I saw people that I described as um, they're black entities, but they're not the race, they're not the people. They're people with dark hearts, empty hearts. They were like black spirits, and they came across to me as not being American, not being true Americans, or not believing like good Americans. They were there to cause trouble within the demonstrations. They were encouraging people to get angry and to fight, and they were trying to get the crowds riled up. Um, So I've, I've said in the past, and I say it again, do not listen to them. If they are there to get you angry and frustrated, avoid them. Anger is a choice. You don't have to be angry if you don't want to. You can open up your heart instead. And then the next major vision I saw was a group of angry entities circling a building in a major city, trying to get inside and they're acting covert, undercover. They get inside, they go inside and they go up a few floors and then there's an explosion. And I asked, what's the significance of this building? What is, what is going on here? Why did they blow it up? I was told that it was a center of communication a place that people relied on for information. And I got the strong impression that it could be tied to the internet, but I got the strong impression that it was a TV studio. I can't say CNN, but the way things look, I don't know. It could be CNN. They have a tower, and it's in a major city in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So I hope it isn't true. I hope it doesn't happen. So I hope they take care of I hope they protect themselves. Um, After that, that's about when I saw an army building and growing in the West. And I don't know who they are, who they represent. I wasn't told. But I saw them fighting and pushing from the West toward the East. I saw the army moving and it looked like the the mississippi river was important so it was like a dividing line and it is a natural dividing line geographically so then i thought i saw fighting just go totally out of control i saw fighting everywhere and it was pretty it was severe enough that i turned away i just couldn't stand to watch it eventually the army from the west will win and the fighting will eventually end Uh, the army uncovers things there's like another building or a group of people or something way down deep in the south. And if I was to guess where it was geographically, I'm saying, I'm thinking Louisiana, Arkansas, down in there. I saw like, a, it was like another large building and it was like a government building because it was fortified. And I saw people fighting and demonstrating around that and eventually they're over. the building is overcome. But, What's uncovered inside that building is tremendously evil. It looked like a ghost of some kind rising up out of this building because it was finally destroyed. The best word I can come up with is a demon, an agent of Satan. And it was there to promote anger and fighting and misinformation. And it was very powerful and when it was finally destroyed as it rose up out of that building and flew away it was laughing it was delighted it's like when the army from the west finally gets inside that building and puts an end to what they're doing um it's going to be a relief it's going to be a great relief and then all kinds of evil will be uncovered and then people will finally realize they were fighting for the wrong reasons they were lied to Uh A lot of people are believing a lot of wrong things, and that's what's gonna elevate the fighting and the aggravation. There was a time when the teacher entity stopped the flow of events, like three different times. And she asked me, well she showed me what I would look like as an adult while this was going on. And I have to tell you, I look like that guy right now. I, I believe, I'm in the house where I'm going to pass away. I saw myself in a base in a basement of sorts and there were other people with me and I looked very skinny and that's not me right now. Um, but we were looking outside like things are really terrible outside and we were hiding. And then I saw myself like in a very big tent with a lot of sick people and that's where I passed away. I don't think I'll see the end of the war. Okay? And I'm sixty five I'm fairly healthy. I could live to be 80, who knows. So if that helps anybody as far as your need to know the timeline, that's the best I can tell you. But again, some aggravation and strife and fighting begins again. And then I saw this huge, tremendous explosion, and it looked like an atomic bomb because of the mushroom cloud. It looked like it was around the corner of Wyoming, perhaps in Montana. So I'm thinking Yellowstone is about where i saw the explosion take place at the base i saw a ring of white just like a pebble dropping in the water where it creates a wave that comes out from the drop that's what it looked like and it was a ring of white and it expanded across the entire continent i believe there could be in the middle of all this a natural disaster like a serious earthquake because i saw flooding it looked like it was between iowa and nebraska which be like around the Omaha area, maybe a little bit further north, I saw a lot of people drowning all at once, just completely overwhelmed with water. And the only way I can think that would happen would be like a flood caused by an earthquake. I saw people being swarmed by water and leaping and jumping out of their bodies, just terrified and not understanding why this is happening to them. And there's nothing they can do. They all die at once. So that's not a very happy vision. Then what I saw was absolute peace and quiet and no movement whatsoever. And then I saw trees growing and getting thick again. And I saw the the planet um, or the continent, I should say, starting to become green again and beautiful. Then I was shown people living and it looked like they were very far in the Southeast, maybe along the coast. Uh, perhaps Georgia, maybe the Carolinas. They looked like natives. They were very peaceful and loving, happy people. And I could feel the happiness coming from them. And that's when the teacher entity turned to me and said, so you see, Ken, there, there is going to be a cycle happening here. When the, all the fighting and the anger and the destruction is over and everything starts to grow again, People will be living more in the, with God's purpose. Mm. They will be happier. They will be more spiritual. And things will be set right. Mm. It was described to me, it felt like a cleansing. Is what it felt like. So it's like humanity, To the way it feels to me is humanity, we're right on the cusp of expanding spiritually to the next level. That old standard of competition, competition between churches, between governments, between races of people, and then using those justifications to fight wars or to compete economically and to cause other groups of people hardship, I look at it like those times are ending. Humanity has been in this cycle for a long, long time. We can can go in the history books and we can tell you, (laughs) We 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 can understand. That's always been the model. We fear people who aren't like us, we end up fighting. People die endlessly, or needlessly, I should say. And then we're prosperous, they're not. Oh, so bad, so sad. Those times are coming to an end. That's what it feels like to me. I believe those people that I was shown, they also will have um, enhanced uh, power and skill. We're, we were built in God's image. Jesus came here, he was human, but he was also a God. He could do miracles. I believe the next step is we will be able to do miracles too, through the power of God, through the creator. That's what I believe. If we choose peace and happiness instead of anger and frustration and destruction, we're going to be a lot better off. And who knows, maybe we can avoid the war. Um, Wouldn't that be wonderful? If you'd like to hear more about his near-death
2: experience, what he experienced before he had his visions, you can click on this video right here. If you want to see this original video unedited, you can click right here. And uh, yeah, if this is your first time and you want to subscribe, you can click on my face right there. All right.
0: Thank you very much for listening. Uh, It's really interesting to see that Uh, he was eight years old, mind you, when he had all those visions, and and he was very patient and had all the time in the world to ask questions to the teacher about the situation that was going through. But um, what stands out for you, Anna?
1: Well, one thing is. I, I you know when your spirit discerns when you're listening to something that's very important um, and i I felt like like I was I, it, I believe it because when you let's say we have a dream sometimes, and that dream can be so vivid. I mean he saw so much, but it was so precise and it was so um, the way he explained it was you know I mean at eight years old. That had to have a pretty profound effect on on him, you know, from eight to the the age he is now. I think he said he was sixty five, right? So I, I just I just found him to to be credible for one. Uh, my spirit was uh, in agreement um, with you know the events that were happening, um, and it, it's kind of interesting that when he was eight, if we take sixty five minus eight, I don't know what year that took place, but here we are in 2022, and this was recorded in what, 2020? Okay, so some of these events have taken place, Um, you know, the Black Lives Matter protest, um, the insurrection that took place right after the election, Uh, the fact that he saw um, Donald Trump in front of, of that building, angry, saying, let's fight, all of these things came to pass. Now, if this happened to him at eight years old, you know, the John Kennedy thing was vivid, too. He didn't really see him, but he knew he was hurt, right? And so, I mean, at eight years old, you're, you know, flying around and being taken around and being shown these events that are taking place, and he's got a very um, descriptive memory of all these accounts, and it's just, I mean, I think, for all the ones that you and I have seen together, it's probably the most, I mean, uh, it really is kind of, I don't want to say shocking, but it it's kind of like I, I stood up and wanted to listen to what he saw, you know, and um, about the, the, the fighting going on, you know, and the Supreme Court decision about the same-sex. Um, marriages and things like that all of this stuff that's taking place it just to me was like you know only God can show you something like like these events you know at that age you know for some reason he was you know selected t- to see this um, it's, it's very interesting I one of the things towards the end that I, I was like wow you know what he said is that People are angry, and that's, and that's the current state of this country right now. There's a lot of anger going on and a lot of fighting um, fighting with the government that you know whether you're a Democrat republican, uh, churches coming against each other, people coming against each other, uh, all this stuff taking place, and it's like an angry spirit that's overtaking this country is what I, I you know because he said that one spirit that got released. He was laughing, right? But it was he was co- meant to come in and, and bring that strife and that anger. So um, one of the things that he says, it, it kind of like at the end, like we do get through it, but that it's because people are being lied to, okay? And I think that's a really important point that we have choices to make uh, when we hear communication and we we've got to learn to discern you know the truth of the matter, you know, not just read what 's on coming through on Facebook and people are re sending it out and you know spreading this kind of misinformation and it's not been validated for once so we I think the best thing for we that, that we can take away is learn to discern the information and just you know um just do that, you know, and keep, you know, I like the way they said, stay away, he, he was told, stay away from those churches who are trying to push a, a, a political agenda, right? Uh, the church is here to bring forth the gospel um, and help people get saved, not to be angry at the pulpit and and push a political agenda, you know? Whether, um, you know, we have government leaders and maybe they're not making the right decisions, you know, maybe, you know, there's a lot there. It's a whole other thing to unpack, but, you know, the main thing is we don't get caught up in that political spirit and we don't get caught up in the religious spirit. We kind of have to stay even keeled and make sure we're we're not getting consumed by that. That, you know, that's a real... The biggest takeaway is don't get consumed by all this. You see a lot of people arguing and families dividing and all that kind of stuff. You know, we got we got to stay away from that. That's what I, I took away. What about you? Wow,
0: I didn't get. I just saw the flooding and they talk about yeah. uh, the the explosion being uh, the the Yellowstone National Park, the uh, volcano exploding. You know, and then causing a, a, such an earthquake that the the ocean water comes in. I was trying oh, yeah. to figure out where the water was going to come in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it sounds like the plates fell down and the ocean just came, you know, and very easily covered it. Here's uh, one more, and this one is... Uh,
1: and one thing I want to say is that remember, it, it almost was... He's like a modern-day, a little bit of a Nostradamus kind of person, you know. Remember, Nostradamus had a lot of prophetic visions also. Yeah, they're very,
0: very vague, though. Yeah. It's,
1: it's I'm, d- I'm just saying that's what it reminded me of. Okay, here I we go know. one
0: more time. This is Visions of the Future or Conversations with God. Let's try Conversations with God. <laughs>
2: Today, we are continuing the amazingly detailed story of Kenneth Lutz, NDE, and what he learned from it. If you are listening to this without benefit of part one, I'd suggest you don't miss listening to last week's show with Ken. Ken, welcome to NDE Radio. Oh, thank you much, and good morning. How are you? (laughs) I'm fine, thanks. Um, When we left off um, uh, last Monday, we were talking about how you had... received almost, I would call it a warning, that um, either the Bible has been misinterpreted or may actually be um, flawed in some ways. And I thought maybe we'd go back and talk about that a little bit. Okay. Uh, do, uh, do you, do, how, do you, how do you feel that message was intended? Do you feel that it's, uh, you know, there's this old phrase, the devil can uh, cite scripture to his purposes, but there's also, um, you know, there, there are a lot of people out there who believe that the Bible is uh, totally correct in all of its uh, writings. How did you, what, how, what was the message that you got? Um, I
4: got the message that uh, for the most part the Bible is a good thing and uh, that it it does good for a lot of people, but just not to put too much into it and um it shouldn't be the only thing that we have to us, uh, towards God. There's a lot of other things, um, and for me, I guess that personal connection to God that when I meditate and I um, think openly, I guess you could say through my mind's eye, that, um, and with my faith, you know, that God, I know you're listening, I know you're there. Um, those kinds of things give me confirmation way beyond what the Bible can do. There's there's some, there's some phrases in the Bible that are just beautiful and wonderful, and it, it's, it's a great indication of how um, talented and and the intelligent humanity really can be. But I don't know. It 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 wasn't necessarily a warning that I received, and it wasn't for mankind. I think it was m- more or less meant for me to understand. That. Um, there was a lot more to faith and, and understanding god and the way the universe works and whatnot goes way beyond uh, what the bible is stating and um you know there, there's times when i hear people I've, I've heard like um other radio shows for example uh like a bible show where there's some very intense person talking about um Oh, uh, a particular phrase in the Bible, and then people are calling in and discussing it, and it just seems to be so intense and we have to interpret this. That's where all the trouble seems to come in. Um, just putting too much weight on it. I can, I can hear phrases, or I can, um, I can hear something spoken that, or repeated that or perhaps Jesus said and i don't know and to me it's like in some ways i can understand maybe a little bit better what he was saying that other people seem to get i don't know
2: (laughs) well i know you you wrote um god is love we are all his children no faith religion government or organization we create on earth has the right to claim their influence and power comes from him and i think maybe just personally i think uh uh, it's not that religion has, has corrupted us, but that um, the misuse of religion by governments and other organizations is is the problem. Anyway, uh, absolutely. But, yeah. Uh, um, to move on at this point, um, we came to a, you came to a very interesting point, and um, where you say you saw a large model of the Earth that seemed to be up on a pedestal, like it was a machine. Maybe you could tell us about that.
4: Uh, This is probably the oddest part, but um, with meditation and just um, really giving myself some space, I think I've come to realize what what it all uh, meant. Um, After I had been shown um, my various levels or um, generations of family back in that tunnel and by the entity that I, I refer to as mother, uh, mother took me to other places She didn't take me directly back to my family. Um, she took me to other places and showed me other things And so one of the places that she took me um, was to a, a place where um, It appeared to be a model of the earth and it was up on a pedestal It was very intricate uh, it Seems to me there were like life and things uh, coming off of the surface um, perhaps I saw some circular streaks of light going around it, circulating it. Um, and I know that when I got closer to it, I was extremely interested in it because I, I've i always been the type of kid that uh, machinery is something that I've always really enjoyed. I seem to have a knack with machinery, so I was very interested in it. So mother took me there, but there was another entity taking care of this, this globe, and this other entity was more like a teacher and uh, she was a little more she wasn't so much loving she was just full of information and i believe this other entity was female as well and i i think i remember mother walking away uh, for a moment or just standing back and letting me talk and, and communicate with this other entity so this other person that was maintaining this This earth was explaining to me that all things on earth can be observed on this model. And I was looking at it closely and I I asked, well, where am I at? Where do I fit in all this? And uh, she pointed uh, down to the earth, onto the surface, and it was like she was saying, there. This is your time. This is where you belong. This is where you came from. And I remember her pointing to the United States. And then as she she pointed to it, it was like all of a sudden my vision opened up and I could see events taking place down on Earth. And um, I saw something that I thought was disturbing, and I didn't like it one bit. Because um, up until that time in my life, um, I was completely surrounded by love, acceptance, happiness. Everything was just great in my life, and I was sort of in a bubble. I guess you could say, with all that, that's the way child children are. I mean, I was I was protected, and I was loved by my family. But yet, when I'm seeing this vision, I'm seeing things, there's some things going on here that aren't quite so nice. And I got concerned, and I asked, well, if these things are going to be happening, why isn't God stopping it? Why is, why is God allowing these things to take place? And
1: uh, the answer I got back the teacher, and he was a little bit stark. It was like,
4: you're not to be concerned about these things. These things are going to take place. Um, whether you're involved or not, this is your time, but uh, these are not things that you need to concern yourself with. These things are going to happen. Um, I believe what I saw, the very first thing that upset me was uh, the assassination of uh, JFK. Because when... I was in the hospital, and I was going through all of this. He was still alive. Um, His assassination didn't take place until I had been recovering in the hospital for several weeks. So um, I believe that's what I saw. And then I was told that this was going to trigger like a period of turmoil or a period of of unsettlement in history. This This is going to be the beginning of it. And I was, I was a little bit upset, and I think then mother got involved again. And um, there was some discussion over whether or not this was good for me. And I think the decision was made that at that time, uh, my age, it was decided that um, they were going to protect me. And so I, I distinctly remember, I didn't write this, so this was all total new for you. I'm terribly sorry, but... No, no, that's uh, fine i remember just being told just this um and they sort of reached into my memory um, into my consciousness into my mind and they smoothed all that out so that it wouldn't be of a major concern of mine that my memory wouldn't be real precise but at the same time i was told that as i got older many of these things will come back to you and sure enough it has Hmm. So I'm almost positive that very first image I saw that didn't look so good, that got me upset, was I, I saw the assassination of JFK. I saw the, the cars and the upset people crying and all the all that went on with it. And actually when I got back home after the first operation, it took two operations to correct my appendix. But when I got home after the first operation, it was the very same day that JFK was buried. So I, I watched all that on black and white TV. It was pretty, just very sad.
2: And some of these premonitions have continued with you, haven't they? Because you, you mentioned that you, you dreamt about the Twin Towers.
4: Yeah, um, later in my life, I've, I've had dreams, powerful dreams, visions, I guess you could say, um, right before something major has happened in history. And, and I believe the Twin Towers is one of them. Um, it was a very startling dream. Um, so before before it actually happened, I didn't understand what it all meant though, and that that seems to be a, the way it goes. I don't understand these dreams um, until something happens, and then it's like, oh, okay, I saw this. But in, in the twin towers in particular, um, it was, gosh, it seems a couple of months, maybe just a month before it actually happened. Mhm. Uh, I saw a vision of a very large city with very tall buildings, and I recall seeing some buildings that appeared to be damaged, like they were smoking, and at least there was at least two buildings that I saw were damaged, but then my vision moved me way, way out on an open field. Um, and then my dream ended when an airplane fell out of the sky and crashed onto the ground. It was a very loud explosion. And that woke me up. My, my heart was racing, you know, I was sweating. I, I woke up and had no idea what it meant. And then uh, 9-11 took place just a few months later. And the plane in the field, I believe, was the plane that crashed out in the office, I forget. You, you mentioned Pennsylvania.
2: I forget what that was in. I've forgotten the town, but it, yeah, I was um, intended probably for uh, a building in Washington, but uh, the right. passengers on board revolted and dro- they drove it into the ground. And, that, right. and then you said that you also had a, a vision of the uh, that destructive tidal wave, that wave, that tsunami of 2004.
4: Right, the tsunami of 2004. That was another very powerful dream. Um, I, I dreamt that I was floating above an ocean. I didn't know exactly where. I knew it was Earth. That I was floating above an ocean, um, beautiful mid- moonlit ocean, and um, then suddenly I saw like a bright star uh, shining down on the ocean, or deep down beneath, underneath the ocean, and it caught my attention. So I sort of floated, I floated over in that direction and was way up in the sky looking at it, and then all of a sudden, thousands thousands of um, tiny stars uh, jumped off the surface, off the ground of the earth, and went sailing past me, and they all kind of wailed a little bit. Um, you could almost describe it as a not too loud of a firecracker, you know, how they wee, you know, kind of whistle.
1: That's how they went. They went floating past me, and some of them went through me and on beyond and up, and I knew that
4: they were going up to heaven. And, um, I looked down in the earth and I recognized that, um, uh, it was a part of the ocean that was, uh, close to like India, somewhere around in there, um, Indonesia around in there. And then just,
2: yes. just within a week or so after that, um, then the earthquake took place. Yes. And you mentioned the the uh, Hurricane Katrina and the subway train explosion in Spain. These are all major events in, in our recent history. Uh, right. Um,
4: by the time I had the dream about Katrina, um, terrorism had been become very much a part of our lives. And we were, you know, in the media, we were hearing a lot more about it. Well, about... I guess it would have been about a month or so before um, Katrina happened, and, and it must have been before the train explosion as well. First, first I saw the train explosion, um, and I didn't know where it was. Um, but I saw a train explode, and there were many people on board, and many people were injured. Um, but then I saw a great wall of water come and wash over um, the land, and it was a tremendously powerful wall of water, that, and I knew that it was coming over a city, um, and that it it would it would be somewhat anticipated, but, you know, I guess it was just a warning to me that it was going to take place, and then, I had no idea where, and then sure enough, Katrina happened a
2: short time later,
4: mm. and it was a wall of water, and it was very powerful.
2: Yes. In fact, they made a, a near-death experience movie based on that. Uh, can't think of the title right off the top of my head. But. Um, I've got to ask this question because I'm sure it's on everyone's mind. Have you had any premonitions that have not yet happened? Um, no. It seems like it seems
4: like everything that I, I dream seems to be associated with something that kind of makes mankind just sort of sit back and catch the breath. Mm. And those are the kinds of things I dream about, and I haven't really seen anything like that recently, although like about a week ago, I had a dream that it was in regards to myself. I had a dream that um, I was sitting in front of some people who um, they were like cyclopses, which is really odd. They only have one eye. I think what it what it meant was they had some of singular vision. Um, I recognized them as experts and I asked them um, will I have to live another life on earth or is this it for me? Can I finally go back and I was I was told I would not have to come back to earth. So I was very happy about the knowledge. I woke up feeling very good. I mean I, I love earth I love living I love <laughs> I love my family I love my friends I love everyone. But once you've been in heaven, um, and especially, I guess mine was a pretty strong um, experience, once you've been up there, and you know what that absolute love feels like, oh gosh, Earth can <laughs> be really hard to deal with
1: sometimes. <laughs> I
2: know, makes it, it, it makes you wonder why people would want to reincarnate at all, given the descriptions that, that we get from near-death experiences.
4: That, and what amazes me is how
2: people grab
4: to pulled on to in desperation everything about Earth, everything about their lives. they're just so desperate they don't want to let go. Like this like Earth is everything Life is everything. No it's not. It goes beyond but it, it may be all they know. but to be afraid of letting it go is silly. is kind of out of our hands. You know I've almost come to the conclusion that life here on earth is actually somewhat of an illusion. In, in ways, it's just not real. It doesn't feel, to me, it doesn't feel as real as is um,
2: what I felt up in heaven. Mm. Mm. The uh, the matrix, <laughs> the the Buddhist concept of uh, illusion that we live in here. Uh, now, when you um, when Mother returned you to uh, your family again, they showed you some chairs uh yeah and I thought that was interesting because that's a very earth based concept uh, where a family is sitting together, but then there's also this uh uh religious notion that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and uh, the, the sitting position is i thought that was interesting that there was a chair waiting for you Right, and there
4: was. Uh, you got to keep in mind, at eight years of age, I had no concept, uh, no idea of what a near-death experience was. So I don't want anyone thinking that um, this is just something that I must have learned about, and so therefore it became part of my, my experience. So it it was not; it was totally new to me. Um, but yeah, um, when when I was done with the globe, and uh, Mother had finished. You know, protecting me and and, uh, erasing some of my memories of the future. Um, Oh, maybe before we go to the chairs, though, should I tell you that um, with my meditation of late, I believe I'm remembering some of the things I saw, though, that I believe Mother protected me. Oh, absolutely. Sure. There are going to be those that are going to wonder. Actually, I do believe um, I did see uh, something that I think could be interpreted as the end of the world. Uh, it's probably, the, it's probably in the future. I don't, I'm not so sure that uh, what I saw is something that I'm, I'm supposed to witness. I know there were things I was told I was going to witness, but this, this part, I mean, it was just so horrible I had to turn away. Uh, I saw wars, I saw strife, I saw fighting, I saw things coming and going um, in relation to the United States. Um, but the biggest thing I saw was, was the world engulfed, and I believe it was like a flame. And it would have been like the end. I did not get the impression that mankind caused it, but I got the impression that it was a very natural thing that is expected to happen. Mm. And then when the, uh, the burning quit, the vision of the world burning quit, I was shown that um, then everything will make sense. Then the world will finally be at peace. And it was almost as if a a very old wrong or mistake um, about the earth was finally gonna be corrected and put right. And there would be much love, there would be much peace and happiness and that everything will be okay. So I guess it's pretty easy for me to assume that humanity is gonna
2: continue beyond that, that point. But it's was it indeed... something, something that was anticipated to be in your lifetime? I can't say that. I'm not ready to say that. Mm-hmm. Um,
4: but I, I think they were answering my concerns that um, why all this disruption? Mm-hmm. And I think I was shown all that because they wanted me to know that when it's all over, you'll see that everything is okay. We have to put up with all this at first, but then when it's all over, it's going to be okay. That's, that's pretty much what I was told. That it's going to be very happy and beautiful when it's all said and done. And it, it's like God is aware that all this is going to happen in advance. Mm. Um it's, I, it's did, already, I, already written, in other words. It's already written, already seen it. Um, I did not get any indication that mankind can choose different paths. I did not get that at all. Um, I've heard some people have come back with that message that we can choose certain things. I I, I believe that um, what they saw is true. They probably did think mankind can take different directions. I was just eight years old. I didn't understand a lot of it. And I just hate to put too much into it, you know, that's all, because you can't call me a reliable source when it comes to predicting the end of the world. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I'd, like to, I'd like to jump on to another very interesting thing, and that was um, when you witnessed your own birth and when you oh, uh, yeah. perhaps played with the spirit of uh, a, 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 a girl child that, that um, apparently died in utero or was was miscarriage. Uh, Miscarried. Yeah, I, I all my... So, see, my mother died um, in 2012, she died in
1: 2012, three years ago. Um, I spent a lot
4: of time in the nursing home with her uh, as she was slowly fading away. And, um, gosh, you know, she's the one that uh, gave me a religious background, um, insisted that I go to church and Sunday school and all those things. And yet, here, with all of her faith, and belief, here she was, on her deathbed and she was starting to have doubts and she started asking me to grant her forgiveness for all the wrongs that she had done to me in my life and it kind of baffled me I love my mother I always loved my mother and none of us are perfect um so it just kind of surprised me that you know she started demonstrating a little bit of weakness but then she started talking about this baby that she lost I'd never heard of it before Now, I'm not positive that she didn't mention it to maybe my brother or sister, but we just never talked about it. I'm pretty sure my dad knew about it. But uh, she told me that she had lost uh, a baby uh, before my brother was born. Um, And she just didn't, she didn't know what to do about it. It was such an early, it was so early. She just felt sick, she said, and she went home.
2: Dad stayed out with his friends. Oh, Mother, forgive me for telling people this, but uh, she flushed it down the toilet. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, she felt really, really
4: bad about it. And um, and then it was suddenly when she told me all this that I had, she thought it was a girl. She said she thought it was a girl. And then I remember uh, my, I saw my birth when I went through my knee death. Um, when I saw my birth, um, my mother was on the table. Uh, the doctor was very excited. He was uh, working on her feverishly. He uh, pulled me out of her with a large set of tongs. Mm. Uh, he was very rough. Mm. He was concerned because I wouldn't breathe. Mm. And on her deathbed, Mom also started talking about how my my birth was was not uh, a very good thing. Um, I was born in 55, they didn't have a a brick hospital yet, it was just a house, it was upstairs. And um, mom told me how they used laughing gas as as a way to help women with the birth pain. The doctor was a hunter, um, an avid hunter, so was my father, Uh, dad was there, hanging around I guess, outside the, the room. Doctor decided he wanted to take a break smoke a cigarette and talk about hunting with my dad. So he put the gas mask with uh, uh, laughing gas next to my mother, left it turned on and told her, now this is pretty strong, you just turn your head into it and take a breath every so often, if you need it, I'm gonna be down for a while. And when I come back, we'll finish this up. So apparently she said what happened was she got a whip and it knocked her out. And then the mask ended up stuck on her face and uh, she was she uh, passed out from an overdose of uh, death. and gas, and it
2: was a strong, very strong dose. Now, now, at the, some point, you left your body, and became yeah. you said a a ball of glowing energy.
4: When uh, I went through my near death up in heaven at age eight, I recalled leaving my body while I was in birth. And I recalled the feeling, I I recalled everything. I recalled uh, the natural birth process falling, that my mother's body wasn't pushing me out anymore, and I was just stuck, and I was squeezed, and I felt like I was dying. And I backed up. It felt like I was backing up, but I I left my body, is what I did. And um, I started floating around, and I saw all kinds of colors. And then I saw another entity, and it, I had the impression that it was a little girl, and she wanted to play, and we flew around. She was was quite fast. I kind of held back. I didn't know where I was or what I was doing. I was just a baby, but I was flying around with her, and she wanted to keep flying, and then a person came to us and uh, called us over to him. It was a man, and the man pretty much explained that I needed to go back, and the girl needed to stay there and, and let me be. So I had to go back to my body and then I, I was born and I followed the whole thing. Um, and it, it, I know this part is a little bit bad for me. How could I, as an infant, witness my own birth and how could I remember a near-death experience at that time? Well, it was simple, when I was eight, I had a near-death experience and I was shown my birth and I was allowed to experience
2: it again. So I saw time. And, and you were able to meet your sister, who never uh, had a chance to live in this world, but is living in the next. Right. I think that's an ama- yeah. amazing part of your yeah. story, Ken.
4: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was the last to meet her. There was no name. There was no name or nothing. I, I don't even believe I was told she was my sister, but it makes sense because it was a girl. And she yes. loved to play. She didn't want me to leave.
2: Um, so would you like to go on to the chairs again? The um, Mother brought me back to the family, or? Well, sadly, we are once again out of time. Um oh, okay. And uh, I, I don't think we're going to be able to uh, continue this right away, although I, I wouldn't mind at all getting back to you uh, sometime later. But uh, the next few weeks are scheduled. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I think definitely I would encourage you, Ken, to write, to write a book about this because it
2: is, uh, there's so much information that you have at hand and uh, I think people would be really, really interested in, in reading about it. Uh, my thanks to Ken Lett for sharing his profoundly fascinating NDE with us. It's really affected his life. It's given him uh, some abilities of prophecy and uh, it, it, it's just a, one of the most interesting stories we've had on NDE radio. If you would like to listen to this show again or any other of our previous programs, please visit our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about IANS, please visit that website at
0: IANDS.org. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.